0: i Spaces and welcome to the ether today is sunday october 2nd 2022 today on the ether part two of a two-part chepe space initially titled love causes wars an ending titled europe and stuff let's take a listen
1: grover what other addictions do you have you like certain types of booze or what
2: Ooh, uh I'd say where well, the biggest one is definitely caffeine or stimulants, just generally speaking. Uh alcohol wise. I wouldn't say I'm addicted to alcohol at all or but like do I have a preference? I, I suppose. I mean I drink a lot of red wine since I now live in southeast France, where it's extremely cheap. It's actually cheaper than the beer. So you could get a bottle of wine for maybe uh like four to six Euros. Um a bottle of like craft beer is probably like three euros. So volume wise, it's cheaper to just drink wine, which is great. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really got any other addictions per se. Um, Keeping active, like if I'm feeling shit, I'll just go to the gym. And uh, that sort of makes you feel a bit better. I I suppose maybe exercise is, is an addiction as well. Uh, and combine that with
1: caffeine and music. Holy shit. It's good to kind of reach that. Interestingly, that's like one of the, the, the sort of gyms I built is interesting in that it has, um, it's, it's got like a high performance gym. There's like coffee and everything, a full espresso machine. And then like the audio for the place, the music and everything, like we built all these huge speakers, like, um, and and like have subwoofers all over the gym and stuff, so to, to give a nice, lush sound, like much nicer than most places are going to bother with doing. Because I felt like the experience should include like really, really decent fidelity sound, like you know, coffee near, pretty much anything I want out of a gym. Like I built into this place, which is kind of funny. And it, it like all of those features are pretty popular as far as like the like people coming and then not wanting to, um, you know, not wanting to leave. Essentially, it's just nice. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a lot of places don't consider those, like, nuances when they yeah. um, build commercial properties and stuff. That sounds ideal. That sounds absolutely ideal.
2: Um, I, I mean, yeah, all the things I change about my current gym, the speakers are shit. Uh, y- you can't get any decent coffee anywhere nearby. You can't get any kind of energy drinks or anything. Uh, and it's also full of a bunch of French teenagers, which would which, steal the dumbbells. And run around the gym with them like i'm just chasing them down like give me the fucking dumbbells actually
1: you know what we did to solve that problem is we actually got like high so we have high-end dumbbells actually they're from the uk um and uh they're super super nice like they're solid like steel um type things and anyway the um the the way we solve the problem of people running around with dumbbells is we have like four different places with dumbbells so like the problem gets solved by just having them everywhere and, um, and they're all nice no matter which, which ones you use. So it's like really meant to be like, uh, very high luxury sort of stuff. Like more than you'd get it, like an Equinox, for example, Eddie, like, it's pretty nice. So it's like, no matter where you go, the equipment's really, really like got that finesse. Um, it'll take us forever to pay back the bill for those, by the way, but it was more of the labor of love than it was making any money. Like this is the dumbest thing to do to make money is provide like quality stuff. Like most gyms and stuff have shitty stuff. Cause like, the maintenance schedule and everything makes it so that like you you try to get the greatest amount of people to the door while um while spending the least on your expenses and stuff but for me it was like the quality of the experience was more of the mark i wanted to leave as opposed to necessarily making money on this thing so we were able to when you have that kind of like ideal then and the people that like work there and um, like run the place, also have that ideology. You you end up wind up with a really nice experience that is most definitely not all about making money. Um, so it's kind of cool. Like the the vibe is really nice. I think um, you'd appreciate a grover probably. <laughs> no, that sounds great. Um,
3: Wait, where did it's... Zara just go? Why did she she left and then she rejoined on a different account? And then what happened?
1: You have connection problems or something.
3: I was going to say, I don't have issues with people running off with my dumbbells because I can literally only lift 10 pounds. And so I just use the 10 pound dumbbells and nobody's using this unless I'm squatting or something, but usually that I'm not using dumbbells. Maybe I should just try to get weaker and then you won't really have these problems.
1: Or get really, really strong that nobody can use the dumbbells you're using, I guess. One of the two. Yeah,
3: but it's much easier to just be weaker.
1: It is easier to be weaker, i Yeah. Have to like do if that you can sure. if you can
3: only do like bicep curls with, with ten pound dumbbells, you're never gonna have to worry about <laughs> about anybody taking them. Actually though, one time I think I tweeted about this because I I was in shock and I could not believe it. I was using dumbbells and I think I was using like I I I was using either fives or 10 something really really light um and I'm sitting there and I'm just like like moving into like I don't know a new exercise or something L- wasn't even like I wasn't even taking a lot of time I was I, it was like maybe like 30 seconds And some idiot comes up and takes my dumbbells that I was actively using. Like I was literally, I think, just probably like readjusting or something like that. I wasn't even in between sets. I was actively like using them. They were just on the ground for like 30 seconds. He comes up and takes them. It doesn't say a single thing to me and then starts using them. And I was so mad and I didn't say anything because I'm not confrontational at all in person. So I'll just like, I won't say anything, but I'm looking at him and I'm like, how pathetic is that? And I think he was doing like, I don't know, like lat raises or something. And I'm like, that is so humiliating. Not only are you going to steal these dumbbells from a girl, you're stealing like ten pound dumbbells. That is so fucking pathetic. Like, you should just leave the gym. Like, I'm so embarrassed for you that you stole those from a woman, and they're so light. Like, it was so embarrassing. I was like, we're lifting the same amount of weight. It's just, oh, I was, I was so mad. I've never been so mad before.
1: Yeah, people, people never cease to amaze. And that's that's you're talking about that happening at like happening at like Equinox, right?
3: Yeah, I was I was blown away. Like I could not like, believe it.
1: You're, you're at a place where you're paying like a premium for a gym and like this sort of thing happens. And you're the whole reason you paid extra to go somewhere is hopefully to like, you know, get a crowd of people that are hopefully a little bit more courteous yeah. about this sort of shit. Well, right? normally
3: people are really respectful and really nice. Like I've never had any issues at Equinox. It's really like I think totally worth it. Um, even though I've been really slacking off on going to the gym the past couple weeks, but, um, yeah, you'd normally really don't have people like that. I was, which is why I was so surprised because everyone is really respectful and there's like tons of space and there's a ton of equipment. And so I, like, I just, I couldn't believe it. I don't know if it was just maybe because he seemed like, I don't know, based, well, based on how much he was lifting, (laughs) but also just like what he did it seems like maybe he wasn't like he didn't go to the gym that often but if these were sitting right in front of
1: you or what like they were literally sitting
3: at my feet like there was no question about who was using them and I was actively like in the middle of like I don't think I had them in my hands like they were on the ground but I think I was probably moving from like I don't know like like I think I, I have a feeling I was doing like like back and shoulders or something like that so I think I was probably just like readjusting whatever bench I was was on or something like that because I like to use dumbbells I don't like to use like barbells really um unless I'm doing lower body but like I don't know it was just so shocking because I was clearly like I wasn't resting I was like about to pick them back up but yeah, it was
1: really weird. But you didn't say, oh, by the way, the amusing, using those. like, you didn't bother. No,
3: because I'm really not confrontational. Like, it makes me really nervous to say something to anyone. I barely talk to people at the gym. Like, I've only talked to like a couple of guys when they've come up and just been like, oh, like, is it okay if I like, like, you know, like work out right next to you or whatever, like on this bench? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. Or just like me, like being like, oh, yeah, let me like move this bench over so you have more space. I rarely talk to people unless I'm in a spin class or something that I have my friends there. But when I'm actually like on the floor, like lifting and stuff like that, I don't talk to people. So I got too nervous to say anything, even though I, cause I didn't want to come across like the person that's like, I don't know. Like I definitely am like so many people there know what they're doing so much more than I do. So I don't want to like embarrass myself or something. There's
1: also the vibe check of if this person has like, is this clueless, right? is this something you want to get into with them at this moment yeah (laughs) you're just like fuck this like I was kind of like
3: okay whatever I can just wait for them to be done but I don't yeah it was just I was more like baffled like I couldn't believe that it had it had happened and so then I just sat there on my bench and I was texting all of my friends like you're never going to be believe this loser just took my tens like a man just took my tens and is using them but no, I, I would.
1: I would. The, the way I would look at that, too, I'm probably the same way you would be at that moment. I'd be like, um, this person is too stupid to get in an argument with right now. Cause like, you know, they're going to be as dumb in conversation as they are in action. So you know, it's going to turn out badly. And it's yeah. just not necessary drama that's not worth getting into.
3: And then I was watching him do his, his lifts and he was like throwing his back all over the place as he's doing them. He's like wiggling around and like, just like it was just it was like funny, but um yeah. But I would never say anything to anybody. If somebody came up to me and I was doing something wrong at the gym, I'd probably start crying because I would get so nervous. So yeah, not the
4: type yeah. to confront people. I um I hate gym people. Just like you know, like those guys specifically, like the male anorexic additions, the ones that are just obsessed with the gym in just the most weird neurotic way and all they eat is chicken breasts and rice and broccoli and they go and the only reason they lift isn't even for health or fitness it's just to punish themselves for their own emotional repression usually and they really like they're lifting because they hate themselves and they need to try and get over it by and I mean it works to get the energy out that repressed energy but it doesn't solve the underlying problem it just temporarily alleviates the symptoms of their constant emotional dysfunction these people are gross
3: i agree i think a lot of these gym guys don't realize that they have eating disorders or that at the very least like they're orthorexic it's really kind of like yeah some of them are really crazy intense like they remind me of when i was like 14 on like ed tumblr and stuff like that like the the energy that I get from these gym bros is exactly the same as like anorexic Tumblr.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's hundred percent.
1: What is an ED Tumblr? There's,
3: there's like Apple. ED Twitter, an ED Tumblr. It's eating disorder.
1: Oh, eating disorder, Twitter
3: or like Tumblr. Yeah. Hmm. So there's it's like. Inspo and stuff like that.
1: So people are kind of like discussing different ways to like lose weight or lose too much weight or comparing themselves? They
3: are they know that they have eating disorders and they're actively oh. like promoting the eating disorder and interacting with other people that have the eating disorders to like continue triggering themselves and trying to figure out ways to like
0: advance oh. their eating
3: well, it's disorder. Like it's very, it's really bad. It's it's not a good thing. So it's <laughs> it's like really, really
1: dangerous. Like um, any other sort of like weird autistic hobby, like you just go and you do this with everybody else.
3: Yeah, so I mean, obsessed. it's-
1: like a like an internet forum thing.
3: Yeah, it works really well with eating disorders because, especially eating disorders like anorexia, are highly competitive. So it's yeah, it's disastrous for for girls' mental health. But it's, it's like, still on, on
1: here and like <laughs> I'm first. I'm I have the like what what is the metric here for if I'm going to become anorexic? Like, like I'm trying to have the thinnest legs possible, or like making measurements, or what? Like what's the thing?
3: Yeah, like, things do- like that. Or they'll be like, oh, like. I want thighs like yours or like, um, like collarbones is a big thing. Like, I don't know. It's not really like, this is like, I don't know if it's good to talk about on a space, to be honest, they could just like rug it. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, I mean, you can, it's pretty easy to find. You just look up like E D T W T, um, like the hashtag and it's all on there, but it's, yeah, it's really quite, it's quite fucked up. I I think I have it muted, so I never see it.
1: So on yeah, Twitter, I'm is it like a whole like people use like a whole code word language so that they don't get like, you know, accused of promoting this or something? Like, do they have a whole language? No, they don't
3: care that they promote it. That's part of the mental illness.
1: Like, oh, okay. It's like a, so. Not only do you have anorexia, but you have this illness that you want to promote it too. It's like another brain damage. Yeah, that's
3: kind of part of it. Um, yeah, that is like a huge part of anorexia.
4: It's a it's a death cult at its core, really. I mean, it, it's, it's sharing it to as many people as possible. That's part of it, and um, yeah. But, I mean, I'm surprised that you haven't even just sort of come across them by circumstance. I mean, I'm lucky in that like, I've never struggled uh, with like eating disorders in that way or anything. But I know so many girls that have, and like even just like girls that I just sort of know and I'm mutual with on Twitter. Like they'll like stuff from these accounts, like. You know, don't eat today, and like glamorizing, like really, really messed up, uh, like norms of of eating and hating yourself and hating your body and hating food.
1: So I think sad. it's because I think it's because like the people I follow on here are more probably more likely to be guys. They're more likely to be crypto nerds or some shit, or, like, things, food. and it's just not like I don't follow enough women to see it. Maybe.
3: Yeah, it's also pretty particular. I mean, it's pretty pervasive, but. There's definitely certain people that you can like tell that they're, I don't know, they would be like interacting with that content. But I think I literally have it muted because I don't even want to see if any of my mutuals like the content because it's really like, like I used to have uh, like eating disorders when I was in high school. So it's like some people will intentionally look at it to trigger themselves back into an eating disorder to trigger their, you know, existing eating disorder, whatever. And it's really dangerous. So I definitely know people, though, that like like Zara said, will will like stuff like that. But I prefer to just like like proactively just mute it so I don't even have to see it at all.
1: But guys definitely do dangerous shit at the gym as far as like um, it's not just the like roids sometimes that some people use, but also just the extreme levels they go through to be in like a physique competition or something, the dehydration and all that shit. Um, it, like when I, it's funny because like, um, the gym that we have typically caters to people that are hardcore about this stuff, right? So you, you're around it. But even as a person that's like a part owner of this thing, you know, it sort of makes me cringe <laughs> to a extent that when I hear how, like the extreme levels they go through, because you'll hear the stories because they're you're at like a show or whatever, and you know, you're like, oh, what did you do to get ready for this show? I did this, this, and this for like a week, and you're like, holy shit, like like congratulations for not dying or whatever like it's it's uh it's it's uh yeah it's it's like it just makes you cringe just hearing the stories of some of the stuff they do
4: yeah it's not just
1: women guys do this sort of shit
4: yeah my ex was really into that lifting stuff like bodybuilding stuff. i think i've said it before but honestly it was so so strange to see like uh like he was so neurotic about food and i'm like normally it's like no relationships is always the girl that's like that i'm just chilling like, i don't care um but he was like so obsessive and you know he wouldn't he couldn't relax he couldn't have fun and i just think it's sort of a an outlet for his own mental illness um at a certain point not for everyone i still think the gym is great like lifting also is a really nice way to like constant cardio is so pointless compared to lifting like right? just lift some weights and you'll get a way better effect like cardio is just just go on a walk Like don't go stand in the gym like a little hamster paying to be on this treadmill you're pathetic just walk outside through the park and look at stuff and think like that's way better cardio you burn more calories anyway but um yeah i don't know
3: they actually show too that with with stuff like cardio um that for most women like low impact cardio is so much better for you like walking and stuff like that is like so, so much better than super intense cardio and stuff like that. So I really like for cardio, I mean, I'll run sometimes, but i mostly just like going on really long walks, but I won't do that at the gym. I just do that. Like I'll just go on long walks in general, mm-hmm. but I do like, I, I like to spin just cause I think it's fun, but like things like Pilates and walking and stuff like that have actually done a lot to like, Some people say that it's helped regulate their hormones and stuff like that, too. Like with people with PCOS, it's really quite interesting um, because it lowers your cortisol levels and stuff like that in comparison to the
4: constant jogging. Um, You know, everyone knows that terminally like cardio head, like balding middle age or he's, he's like, you know, he's in his like he's not in his middle age yet, but he's like 30s, 40s. He's getting on his hairlines all the way back. He's always stressed out. He's always working. His wife can't get pregnant because she's always stressed out from her job too. And all he does is go on runs or go on his bike and he eats low carb and he just lives a miserable life of restriction and never enjoys anything. Wouldn't eat out. Oh, I need to eat healthy. I need to eat his weird little self-torturous like meals, like that he keeps in cling film or whatever. Like cardio isn't good for you really. I mean, it just raises your stress hormones a ton. Like it's, if you want to eat in a calorie, if you want to get a calorie deficit, then eat less and eat stuff that's more nutritiously, like you know, valuable, have more protein and stuff like that. If you want to like exercise, then do it to like get stronger or get more flexible or improve your skill or improve your hobby or improve your mindset. Don't just stand on a fucking treadmill. bit like, honestly, it's it it really infuriates me, and especially how it's under this guise of health. like people eating granola and going on spinning wheels like it's it's so strange like that's not health how do you what you read you read enough magazines and now you think that just because you hate something because you have this idea of not enjoying something completely associated this idea of health you think if something is not enjoyable then it must be good for you like that is the most retarded thing i've ever heard in my life
3: yeah i think it's really crazy like i mean i grew up. I did play sports and stuff like that, but I think I had a really bad relationship with like exercise and stuff like that because I always was doing something where I was like, I felt miserable. And so I thought that that's just like how exercise had to be. But it's really like kind of crazy once you actually start doing things that you enjoy, like when you go to the gym and do stuff that you like doing instead of forcing yourself to like go to the gym and run five miles, which I never liked doing, but I would go do it it really changes your entire relationship with like your body and exercise and stuff like that. And I think Mm -hmm. that so many people go and they're just forcing themselves through something that is like awful and they're suffering and it's hurting them and like they're getting injured and they're just pushing themselves to these like extremes. And then they're not even like they're going in and they're like, oh, I'm throwing up after every workout and like X, Y, Z. And it makes me so sad because I think that like working out and exercise should be something that makes you feel really good. And like chemically, it should make you feel really good after. And so it makes me so sad because it's just like so much better. Once I started doing stuff that I actually liked, like I never did Pilates for a really long time or like yoga because I was always concerned with, well, I'm not going to burn as many calories doing like Pilates or yoga as I'm going to do. If I go and spend, you know, 40 minutes running, um, but it's my body would feel so much better once I started doing activities that I actually liked doing. And mm. it's actually not even necessarily, I mean, you burn a lot of calories running, obviously, but it's not even necessarily true that things like um, yoga or Pilates aren't as good of a workout because you're improving your flexibility so much and like your core strength, which is especially important for women. Mm. And it also does burn a lot of calories, which yeah, is right. something that I never knew.
4: The brain is the part of the body that burns the most calories at any given moment. Um, so when you're doing, like, a stimulating exercise, it doesn't have to be constant movement and physically stressful to burn calories. I mean, just also getting in touch with your, like, kind of reconnecting your own movements and your own muscle groups to your brain, like these things that you forget about because you're in the same posture over and over again all the time. Um, doing that in itself and becoming conscious of your own movement. Is something that requires a lot of thought, and um, yeah, like you can feel you should just, people should just trust their feelings more if it feels like it's good for you, then it probably is. And yeah, that doesn't apply to like meth and or whatever, but the come down doesn't feel good on that, so I don't even think that uh, applies. Sephiroth, you ever do meth?
1: No, uh, should I?
4: I don't
5: know, maybe,
1: hmm. Yeah, meth is kind of, has become kind of the most frequent, I don't know, like, honestly, like, uh, it's almost like a poor people drug in the sense that, like, it doesn't cost anything near, like, what, like, proper cocaine or whatever does, so you see it, like, way more. Um, Yeah, I think it depends on the part of the country you're in, too. But, like, some areas, like, um, opiates and stuff are way more, I guess, not available or popular or something but in other areas it's more like uh, is yeah meth is uh, like way more common
3: i have like barely ever seen meth or anything i think that in the northeast opiates are just so much more common like i had definitely seen people nodding off and stuff on opiates in massachusetts and i mean i actually see a lot of there's a lot of crack still in new york i mean it's like you know when they fed crack into new york it never really went away so there is a yeah, ton of crack more so than like i more than I'd ever seen in my entire life. Like there's so many crackheads here, like legitimately you walk down the street and there's people on like with crack pipes in their hands. But I feel like I've mostly only ever seen in New York, like more, well, I shouldn't say commonly, but with people that I know, it's mostly just um, like ketamine and Coke. I feel like is what most people do. I've never met anyone personally that, had done meth and then I'd never met anyone that I had my ex-boyfriend his friends did like heroin and stuff which was bad obviously um but he did like Dilaudid which was really strange I'd never met anyone that had done Dilaudid um I didn't even know what it was before I started dating him I never used
5: it or anything sorry what the heck is did you say Dilaudid
3: yeah it's like D I L A U I D, I think. Um it's basically yeah, just
1: hydromorphone.
3: Like, yeah, like a step down from heroin basically. But so just uh, a
5: really fucking strong opioids
3: mm, Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's interesting when you see the differences in what people that are have some degree of money will use versus um like I mean heroin's pretty cheap from my understanding. But, um, yeah, it was definitely, it was weird. It was strange. He lied to me about it, though. I didn't know that he was doing it until later, like, once we were well into the relationship. But, yeah, it's interesting. Some of the stuff that you find out that you never even knew about, like, I didn't know what that was before. I still don't really understand what it is. Besides, he said that it's, he was like, no, it's okay. It's not as bad as heroin. And I was like, um, okay. It was weird. Sefi, do you know what Dilogit is? Do you ever use it? Is it like fentanyl where you use it in medicine?
1: Uh-huh. It's uh, hydromorphone. Um, fentanyl is sort of IV only. Mm. So it's, you know, super potent. Um, it's the highest potency opiate available commercially. Um, so it's useful actually in the hospital because it doesn't cause people's bowels to get stopped up so it's we used to have like a lot of problems with things like morphine you know if you're in the hospital for like uh anything just about um that you would use these things for and you'd have a lot of problems with like people's bowels not working but with that no you do you have way less of that but it's really high potency so we use tiny doses at any given moment
3: yeah um, i remember when i had spine surgery when i woke up i didn't they didn't tell me any of the medicines that they were going to be using or anything i guess i should have asked but i didn't really ask because you know, my both my parents are like my dad was I don't know, he was make whatever. He like knew what what all they were. And then when I woke up from the surgery, it took me a really long time to come out of it. And I remember they told me they were like, okay, just press this button when it hurts or whatever. And like that means you'll get more medicine or something. Mm -hmm. But then I found out that they had me on like fentanyl and I didn't I didn't know that before and I would have said that I well, like, I I trust doctors, but I would have said I didn't want that had I known that that was going to be. But it felt so strange. I've never, like, like those hours after surgery were some of the strangest moments of my life. And then I was on um, Oxy after. Um, like it depends a, on the weird. surgery.
1: Like, there's some that you don't, you, like, could almost go home the next day, like a, a simple appendectomy or something all the way to things with much larger, more painful sort of wounds. But like the difference you're asking about hydromorphone, like with dilatid is um, fentanyl is like, doesn't come in oral form. and doesn't last very long. So if you need something that lasts a little bit longer in an oral form, and you don't want it to be kind of having to give it continuously. That's where some hydromorphone, things like that come into play. Mm. And usually it's a pretty low dose. Like you don't need very much of it to solve the problem.
3: Yeah. I don't even know how they, um, how they were getting that stuff, but it was weird. My my ex, he was like, he was a crazy person, but um, he told me the the story of how he first did any of that stuff for the first time, and it was so fucked up. I guess they had a a friend when he was growing up, um, whose dad had cancer, and so he was on some pretty heavy duty like pain medication, and I think it was probably like oxy that he had a prescription for. And so they were, I don't know, like 15, maybe something like that. And they all stole the oxy from his the, from his friend's dad with it's cancer. It's a good thing
1: they didn't die. Yeah,
3: yeah. And they took it. And then that's how they like did oxy for the first time. And then this is the same ex I had. Well, this is the one that I told the story about him after i got out of the hospital being like yeah drowning would be a good way to go or <laughs> whatever and then also this ex he used to sell drugs on the black market like on the internet um because like back a long time ago i guess like when people did that and stuff and he was buying them off of there it was really he was like really quite a strange guy and then yeah he was doing dilaudid and like heroin with his friends in brooklyn
1: yeah to, if you're if you're without kind of, my knowledge you're kind of in that sort of like Opiate scene—it's hard to get away from that, and there's a very high probability that those folks will also become like either alcoholics or some other issue down the line, um, or just simply die. Like you can easily kill yourself with opiates, so that's the other problem.
3: Yeah, Um, I remember we were one time we were I was at his at his house, and we're like laying there, and he gets a call that one of um, this is actually kind of an interesting story. It was one of his friend's brothers that he had grown up with had OD'd. Um, and it was kind of uh it was like really weird because he gets the call. And then I later had friends texting me because the guy who died, it was my boyfriend's friend, but he had been on The Bachelorette, like that show. And so when he died, everyone like like it was like public news or whatever. And I had friends texting me being like, Oh my God, did you see this? And I was like, Yeah, I was like, I found out that when it happened like that he had died it was really strange but um he had like od'd on heroin i think like really fucked up
1: like, yeah his i, I actively seek to distance myself from these crowds like just don't yeah. have i mean i deal with it every day dealing with overdoses and stuff that people use these things but like definitely not um kind of sticking around folks like this in social circle they tend to have mm-hmm. lots and lots of social drama and chaos that will sort of envelop your life at some point.
3: It's not fun dating somebody like that. I mean, he's the only person that I've ever dated that that was like that. And I would not, I mean, I've dated people that have done like like have done like Coke and stuff like that, but nothing like, um,
1: I I would think you'd be like like very judgmental about that sort of thing. Or aren't you? Well,
3: I didn't know. I, he was like, I've talked about this. He was like, I fully believe that he was actually a sociopath and, Um, I didn't know when I started dating him that he was even using it all I was sort of naive I mean I was only 19 and he was like and he was like 28 or something Um, and I was pretty naive like I he told me oh my friends do this stuff but I don't and I was stupid enough to believe it but like it wasn't true Um, and yeah it's kind of difficult though like dating somebody like that because you always have this sort of sense of anxiety that's present that you know if they're not texting you back for a certain number of hours or something you don't hear from them for one night or something like that like you're always wondering oh did they overdose like am i about to get a call in 12 hours that you know they're dead or something like that and it was especially strange as somebody that had never done any of that stuff had never known anyone that had done anything like that to suddenly be in a relationship with somebody who's using like hard drugs like that um but it's weird because you also have people where you know, they don't like I, when I met him, he didn't strike me as somebody like that. You know, he was from like a good area, had a real job and stuff like that. And it's funny how almost high functioning to a degree you can be up until a certain point when you're doing stuff like this. It's really quite sad. But.
1: Hey, Vera. You know, hey, Vera. I would not
3: date somebody like that in the future.
1: Hey, Mel. Good, good afternoon. It's good afternoon. Here are you.
6: Good morning.
3: <laughs> I heard dilaudid and I was like, oh man. What do you think about dilaudid Melanie? <laughs> it's
6: it's like the hated pain medication for nurses because like so you'll have it's a joke pretty much like you'll have a patient come in, right? And allergic to like yeah, I'm allergic to <laughs> Tylenol, ibuprofen, tramadol, toradol, morphine, like but I can take that medication that starts with a D. And they never remember the name of the medication. Oh, that's funny. So they're coming in like looking for Dilaudid. Yeah. So we usually give it, I want to say it's like between 0.2 milligrams of Dilaudid to 1 milligrams, usually IVQ 2 to 3. I mean, it's given so much that like it's just repetitive, but like, yeah, they'll come in and they'll be like, yeah, I take that medication that starts with a D.
1: Yeah. Pretty standard. Like as if we're morons, like that's how, that's <laughs> yeah. how you show up and We just that
6: medication like every <laughs> hour.
3: What do you actually like use it for? Like when it's actually prescribed and it's not, and you know, it's not somebody that's just looking for it. Like what cases is it? Houston, is it like really severe pain or what would even qualify as really severe pain or whatever?
6: Like after surgery, but like, so protocol is like, depending how many days post-op you are, you're going to get, you know, IV pain meds. but we're trying to switch you off the IV pain medication so you can get on oral pain medication so you can go home. Like we don't want you on IV pain medication, you know? Yeah,
3: that makes sense.
1: Here's an interesting story. Um, So, my wife was working for like a community clinic for a while and, um, you know, always has to deal with what Mel just mentioned, like as far as people showing up and saying, you know, they want this and they want that. And for a while, this is like maybe in the last 10 years, um, this is before like the opiate epidemic, um, you know, made the news and all this sort of stuff. It's the regulatory boards and everything that we're actually promoting that we should be giving lots and lots of pain medicine to people. Like, it was their fault actually this happened. The the, the, the medical boards of America are clearly at fault for this and because what they wanted was they wanted people to have their pain controlled and it was your like fifth vital sign and all this shit. Like, it is the doctor's imperative to make sure all pain is gone and like, there's no such thing as like not having an addiction potential but whatever, they ignored that. And um, in favor of, like, this concept of, like, you want to have compassion for everybody and, you know, why would you want to allow people to have pain and all this kind of thing, right? So, it's like you're forced. And my wife had this situation where she's, like, you know, you know, had this person that was asking for pain meds and it's, like, you don't even, like, the amount that you want and, like, like how you want it and whatever. It's, like, I, I just can't condone this and basically got into some sort of, like, argument about it. And uh, was ultimately fired. She was actually fired for um, having this, like, uh, not providing this because the person complained to the medical board and said, oh, this person's not giving up pain drugs. And then, Melanie, like the opiate epidemic thing, um, like, became headline news, right? What was that? 2017, was it? I don't remember. 2017, 2018, maybe. Yeah, 2017, I think. Maybe, when, maybe. Like,
6: yeah. the yeah. clinic were, like, under fire.
1: 20, yeah, 2016, 17, 18, like all that. Right. And, um, and then now that exact same clinic, like you can barely get a doctor to prescribe anything anymore. (laughs) Like they've completely backtracked. The DEA has made it way, way harder to actually prescribe stuff. And remember that discussion we were having earlier, Addy, we're like, well, just do what the regulatory agency says and all that. That's tricky, too, because sometimes in mass, the regulators are wrong. Like the people that make these rules are just overtly wrong. And then it's like, well, now what do you do? So it's like, like, we're, we're always stuck in a rock and a hard place. If I don't yeah. give it enough, I get one set of problems where people blame you for being like torturing patients and not giving them pay meds. And if you give like quote unquote too much, whatever the fuck that means, right? Then it's like, oh, you're just like you killed my daughter or something. Like it's like there's no way to win this. It's like it's ridiculous. It's and nurses have to deal with it like face to face all the time because they're there all day, like looking at this person in the eye, telling them, you know, and and they're they're begging people, they're begging their nurse twenty four seven for whatever it is. And sometimes it's legit, right? Obviously, and then other times it's just like just people just fucking with you and just wanting to get their drugs
3: one thing that i've um found and this is sort of different but i mean i think i've talked about this kind of recently is in like the psychiatric field um holy shit like it is really really difficult sometimes for people that are oh my goodness um like i i totally understand that there's similar sort of like abuse of stimulants and of um like benzos and stuff like that but my God, if you actually need to, like, <laughs> if you actually need, like, need a benzodiazepine, it is so, so, so difficult to find a psychiatrist that will actually listen to you um, and, like, prescribe it. Like, I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder since I was eight years old. So I've had it for 14 years, and um, I've had a lot of trouble finding a medication that would work and I can't take SSRIs. And so, um, it's like, just like trying to find a it's doctor a that will, problem. will listen and actually believe that you're not just like trying to find, like trying to get like a clonopin prescription or something is next to impossible. Same thing with like Adderall. I don't even like taking the Adderall, but I just switch psychiatrists. Um, or like I actually was seeing a psych NP And to get the new one to prescribe it, I ended up switching somebody again because she just refused to believe it, even though I'd had it on my chart since I was, you know, X number of years old and I don't even take it every day. But yeah, it's really, it's really quite crazy. I finally found a doctor that is actually like he's he's good, but um it's it's disheartening the links that people have to go to. But I also totally understand that with the like how prevalent, you know, like prescription medication abuse is, it makes sense and I think I'd rather have doctors be conservative about it but it's pretty crazy when you actually Yeah there's
1: no there's no like um there's no like 100% chance of winning this like situation yeah. there's I always someone who needs it be, but to be
3: conservative about it just because of like the I think that there's a much greater risk of death if you uh, like are prescribed a medication that you're don't need and that you're going to abuse than if you have to wait a little bit longer to go through sort of like jump through the hoops to try to get the medication.
1: And, and like, but, if I you think know. about my bias, right? Think about it. Like the people that see me are the ones that actually overdose and all these things. Right. So you can imagine my bias in which direction that tends to favor. But so it, it's weird because like depending on which sort of like view of this you see as a professional, it, it obviously affects your your sort of perception of this. But I'm sure there's tons of people getting all sorts of psychiatric care as outpatients that are doing just fine. Yeah. Um, but there's also like the the is when you only see the bad outcomes. Obviously, that colors your taints, your your view of like what you believe in to some some extent.
3: Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting, like the psychiatrist that I saw most recently, um, he was also an addiction specialist as well, which is part of the reason why he was the first psychiatrist to ever um, like bring up the topic of like benzos to me and ask if that if that's something that I would want prescribed. Um, And it made me because I'm pretty like, even though I, I do, you know, see doctors and I do believe in medication, just personally, I would rather be on like the absolute least amount of medication possible and sort of like tough it out just because i just think that there are so many side effects to psychiatric medications that sometimes it's not even worth it um but i thought that was really interesting because he had had experience with people that you know were, were like seeking out prescription medications to you know for their for their habits and stuff like that um but it almost made me as a patient feel more like i could trust him even more because i knew that he had seen the other end of it and I felt like he would not prescribe me something that um, if he thought that I was ha- would have any sort of inclination towards abusing it, which I've never had like substance abuse issues like that's never. Although, been so although it
1: really is a roll of the dice, like, for example, if you were to prescribe, yeah, me a benzo, but right, like, let's say you prescribe me a benzo. I don't know if I'm going to be the one that's going to be like really going to get addicted to it and abuse it long term or not until after I'm on it. So I think the the theory with psych meds that like everyone has to sort of realize is that there is a very strong trial and error component to this. And if it's someone that already is like really afraid of being addicted to something, they're really uh, against this idea in the first place and they're noticing that it's happening and they're really cognizant of it, that's one thing. Um, and if the doc is the same way, they're like, okay, well, I'm not going to leave anything off the table, but you know, you, you just have to like work with this idea that like I don't know for sure if you're going to become addicted if, or something weird is going to happen. Um, I think if there's like that that kind of trial and error vibe going on, I think it, everything usually goes pretty well. But when yeah, I think um, that's when, mostly
3: how it is though with with every single psychiatric medication. Like, I, like that's generally the how it works with a psychiatrist not even just with benzos and stuff like
1: yeah, yeah because because we don't been, have
3: it's been a like let's see how it works but it is yeah. interesting you can that you can see sort of um um like genetically like i my my parents are, have also been on you know medication for like depression anxiety it's so interesting because there was a point where we were all on the same medication and it was i'd been on quite a few like different types of psych meds to try to like regulate the anxiety and stuff like that um and that was the one that we all took was the one that, that worked really well for for all of us so it's kind of cool to see that there may be some like yeah i had a similar component.
1: experience with um statins you know the the lipid lowering drug right mm-hmm. um my father had some like numbness and tingling with one particular product and i had the exact same thing like just neuropath like I'm just tingling my fingertips and stuff and it's interesting how specific it was you know the exact symptom it's not particularly common with this either so it's like has to be genetic at some level Um, and actually when it gets into genetics for like psych meds or any meds um, it's a weird sort of like ethical battleground too because like how much do you want people to know about your propensities and all this other shit comes into play but yeah I think in the long run like it would be nice to know like hey if I have this genetic profile, am I more likely to benefit from trial and error of this one first or this drug first? And if there was a chance to like improve that outcome, I think people are oftentimes willing to take that idea. Um, yeah. But it, it creates other ethical problems when genetic information's being used for all sorts of things and people start judging you based on your genetics and all this other shit. But yeah.
3: Yeah. It was funny because the the medication, <laughs> like my mom, my dad and I were all on like nobody shared it It wasn't until I was like uh like I said I was I had to go to the hospital it wasn't until I was prescribed it then that suddenly everyone came clean and was like oh wait I'm on that too and I was thinking to myself this would have been nice to know months ago because that could have like really helped with my like when they're doing like the you know sort of like trial and error with which which medication works best but it's funny because like not a lot of people are super open about that stuff even within families but I do find it really interesting um that it's so different the way that these like medications can work on on different people especially with psych meds it's It's like really quite crazy or even like with with SSRIs and stuff like that, how, you know, if you have like if you're misdiagnosed and they think that you're you have depression and then in reality, you know, you have like bipolar or something like SSRIs are (laughs) going to make you go off the fucking deep end. So I don't know. I think that stuff is like I think it's so cool if I ever like did medicine, which I won't, but I would definitely I think psych would be the thing that I would want to do just because I find it so interesting.
5: Hey, Addie, I just wanted to ask you. um, You said earlier, if I'm not mistaken, that at one point in your life you had to take Oxy. um, Yeah. Mistaken. Um, Did you ever, I don't know, feel like you were getting addicted to it to an extent? And also, just like, what the fuck did it even feel like?
3: (laughs) Um, No, I was, I though, like I said a second ago, with medication, I'm incredibly cautious about. medication just because I would rather I would just rather like tough it out I guess just cuz I don't want to feel um modified in any way but um I actually so I I had had a back surgery um and I was under the impression when I got it that I would be up and walking like the same day um which was not the case but um so I had an oxy prescription and I think I had some muscle relaxers and stuff like that too and I remember being really, really upset because I needed to take it more than I thought I was going to have to. So I needed to get a refill on it, which they had told me at the hospital, it was fine if I needed a refill, but I was really, really mad that I needed one, like mad at myself. Um, but I don't think I ended up finishing a refill. Like, I think it's, I think I ended up just flushing them because I had extra left, but, um, yeah it just felt really like I just felt tired the whole time mostly like it I was just sleeping a lot but it was also like I actually needed the pain medication like I was so I'm sure it feels different if you don't actually need the pain medication and you're just taking it but I actually I had my my wisdom teeth
1: taken out kind of late like a number of years ago and um like uh so it was like hydrocodone was what I had available and I'm in the same boat. I'm like, I don't really want to test my ability to be addicted to this. I'm gonna use as little as possible. And I only needed like maybe, I don't know, a day worth of of it, maybe four tablets out of the bottle and the rest of just went unused. But I, I wasn't really I pretty much it made the pain go away. I didn't feel anything else in particular, like no buzz or anything like that. Um so I it wasn't really um but I was consciously avoiding it to the extent that I could. Like I'm not I wasn't interested in testing this. The bottom line is like I know better. Like I know that there's no way for me to know how much my brain's going to like this. So I'm trying to limit the exposure as much as possible because I understand how trial and error works. You trial, your trial and error is not just the therapeutic effect, but you're trial and erroring the addictive effect. And you don't know for sure. Like how many 12 year olds do you know that are say to themselves, you know, I want to be a raging alcoholic when I grow up. They don't know. They don't say that. Right. So every time it's like a test and you, def- you don't know what's going to happen to you. So that's kind of why I avoid it a lot.
3: Yeah, I feel like you just kind of want to like, I don't know, just for me, at least, I don't want to risk it, even though I know, like, just with a history of being on, like, quite a few medications, and some of them having addictive properties that I'm generally speaking, I think I'm lucky that I don't have any sort of an addictive personality to any substances or like have that sort of disposition. But it's really kind of scary. I mean, I just don't think that you want to like risk it. I also think that it sort of depends on like the surgery that I had had my dad actually he works in med device and at the time one of the the companies that he was with and one of the devices he was working on was used in in surgeries like the one that I had had and it actually had um an effect where it reduces the the necessity for um opiates in in like a pain in,
1: stimulator or something I mean a I stimulator.
3: yeah I can't remember exactly what the he was working for um he was working for Piscera I don't know if you know that company but Cephi mm-hmm. but one of the yeah. devices that they work on um and I remember my dad like almost getting into an argument with my surgeon because he was really he almost wanted me to switch surgeons because he was upset that I was going to be on Um, opiates after because he didn't like the surgeon didn't use um, the device in his, in his practice or something like that. And I ended up getting the surgery with the surgeon anyway, because we were like, I really needed it. Um, But yeah, it definitely made me really wary because my dad was really anxious about it. I think my mom was the one that was saying like, oh my God, just like, let her take the pain medication. She's in so much pain. (laughs) Um, But I took it for as little as possible. And then once I felt like I could just take Tylenol and just sort of deal with like, you know, like a sort of level four or five pain or whatever, that's when you want to stop taking it. It's just so scary. Like it's so because so many cases like it's where people get prescribed it for legitimate reasons and then they get addicted like I've had a couple oral surgeries and stuff like that too.
1: Most of them are like, I that. always
3: opted out of it because I never, but this one I really like, I couldn't not take it. So
1: yeah, it's, it's most of, most of the folks um, that are like, like for a while, like Vicodin was the most prescribed drug in the United States. That's how frequent it was like more than blood pressure meds. Like that's how much was being prescribed. So it's like, yeah, most people start out with some legit pain complaint. And then next thing you know, they're like, wait, I'm on this thing. Now what? Like, you know, now, now I feel like using it.
3: Yeah, I remember my doctor when he did my surgery. <laughs> Cuz it got to the point where I was like I had had this issue for a long time but I kept ignoring it, but it got to the point where it was so debilitating that I quite literally couldn't walk. Like I had to like by the time I got my surgery, it was like for the 3 weeks before I was I was physically unable to walk. Like I had to be wheeled into surgery when I had it because it was so bad. And he my doctor said to me after the surgery after he had done it, Um, because I'd gotten I think an MRI or something maybe I don't know a month prior to surgery and he said once he actually opened it up and went in there he said after he was like I don't know how you were walking like why didn't you why did you not like it's clear you're in a lot of pain why didn't you ask for pain medication earlier you know like you didn't have to wait this long we could have given it to you and you know xyz and I basically was just like yeah because I like I'm, I would rather not be walking than like have like risk having you know being addicted to like heroin down the line or something like that. It's just I don't know. It's it it's so it's although, so. Although getting too.
1: a pulmonary embolism from laying in beds no fun either. So well, it's, yeah, it's I know. A, it's Everyone was
3: like weird it, yin everyone, yang problem. Yeah, it was not good, but I mean, I got it fixed and I'm fine now. So, but yeah. I I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a hard decision to make. Like I just really would not want to risk. I mean, seeing how, how much those, the, the Oxy had affected me, if I had been taking them prior to surgery, I would have just also just been laying in bed for the whole day because I would have been passed out. So I don't know, but yeah, it's pretty crazy.
5: Addie, the whole reason I asked you about uh, if you were taking Oxycontin or not is because uh, I have a funny little story for you here. My, uh, my cousin Tyler, about 14 years ago, he went snowboarding and on the first run of the day, he fell and broke his shoulder in two places just after getting off the lift and uh, had to be taken by helicopter to a hospital. And the doctors weren't able to perform a surgery on him. So they were like, OK, here you go this is oxy take this for a month and then we'll have you in for your surgery and yeah uh, the,
1: swe- the swelling has to go down first
5: yeah and uh he to an extent i'm assuming got addicted on oxycontin he told me that uh one time he was at school and he went over to a girl's house during lunch and he had taken his oxy and he like ripped a bowl from a bomb and went back to class And during class, he was sitting down, and he was just so obliterated. And walks down to the professor and says, "Hey, he's like, I just smoked some weed and got really fucking high. Like, I can't be here right now." And just laughed in the middle of class. So funny.
1: Yeah, it'll. Yeah, you never know how it's going to affect you. So that's the problem. Um, Yeah scary stuff in a sense
5: he also did coke for a number of years after that too which
1: is yeah it sounds like the type of person that's uh like ripe for fucking up their life like people that tend to do these things um tend to just sort of do a lot of them which is it's like a it's like this like i don't know this mental type that you see happen a lot um yeah it's like it's not like people just pick up meth just out of the blue, most of the time, there usually there's like a chain of events that happens, and different things, and people use just crazy drugs, and we see it like all the time. And you look back at their life, and you're like, "Hey, what what could have been done differently here?" And you never find any one thing that like, "Hey, had we not done this, or he had not done that, like the thing was would have been fine," or like, "I would have been able to credibly prove that if you had done this differently, that you would not be in this position or whatever." It actually is really a like this weird long string of events that it never. Um, it's like, it's, it's hard to know who to blame exactly. A lot of the times it's, uh, or there maybe isn't anyone to blame. It, so that's kind of why like, um, in a weird way, like it, like the way that you like, I think of things in one way you might think is like cold or something. But on the other hand, it's like, it leads to forgiveness because like, I'm not likely to blame you for your problems because I realize that like, shit just happens. Like, that's kind of my take on things. Like, why would I blame you for it? when I know there's a long string of shit that happens that gets you to the place that you're And what am I gonna sit there and like, what, judge you? What am I gonna like pass some sort of like, (laughs) like I'm gonna ban you to hell or something? Like, like, how is that gonna benefit me? So it's weird, like. uh,
7: Sifil, how about we address the companies who actually produced OxyContin in the past and got it FDA approved knowing they had huge Tremendous addictive properties and may, yeah, hundred billions of dollars killing millions and millions of Americans and people all over the world. How about you take responsibility? But that is not (laughs) going to happen.
1: Really, I was there for the entire thing, like literally, like from the beginning to the end of it, and like when this started, when the the public first said, "We want to make sure that our pain is controlled." The people are the ones that actually demanded the medical boards push doctors to give higher, like more pain medicine. And that was something that when I was a medical student, I remember like very, very distinctly, I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. Like this sounds like it's going to go really badly. But then they made it sound like, oh, you're just a student, what the fuck do you know? So the this sort of like liberalization of pain meds was a very uh, specific thing. It wasn't the drug companies that started, it, it is actually the public itself like started this business. And then what happened was the drug companies were like, okay, we'll make you the medicines you want and whatever. And then on top of that, I I, I,
7: I have a very difficult time believing in this because I I, I was
1: there. I was there. Like, this is what happened. Like these like Oxycontin and everything were primarily used for like cancer therapy back in those days. Like I remember.
7: Yeah, true. And then it got prescribed for people for pain. And they said, Hey, you you can prescribe it left and right. It has no addictive properties. I don't know if you missed
1: the, I don't know if you missed the part, like where, um, so this was actually a very, very specifically like liberal agenda actually to bring more pain meds in. Like people that were relatively conservative about this were laughed at and said, hey look the data shows that like people that use it appropriately don't get addicted there's just no way this is true obviously and now it's we're, really well known but the public yeah, actually but you, but we really all the know that data
7: can be twisted right yeah Steffi, the
3: stackler yeah. family they fucking knew that shit though like yeah, <laughs> there's a reason there's I, lots. and then
7: right and, and then them. after Oxy- i knew it in the 90s Nobody and, listened. After, and after the patent was about to expire they were like what are we gonna do we're gonna lose so many patients, so they tweak the component of Axie and turn it into something different and continue with the continuous with the production of and addicting yeah. more people to it
1: yeah, but what I'm saying is is that like it's if you get back to the root cause, the public's the one that demanded all these people do all this wacky shit I, like my wife was literally you, fired you, for you my my uh, wife was actually fired for exactly this thing right like she said, no, you can't yeah, have but these medicines.
3: Started- the, and public, the public they were not the ones that fed oxy into into the industry like i seriously when i say i think the sackler should be fucking like drawn and quartered and shot in the head i uh, i fully believe that like yeah, i think there's the evil, evil, evil evil people and it wasn't the, i mean the public obviously yeah they hear about this drug like they come in wanting it but they're not responsible. the public is not responsible for the opioid epidemic on the whole that is on
5: the actually they were, they were, actually they very were much giving, was i was they were, there like no. they, the, the they were giving, families were there guys
7: guys, guys they, they were giving the public uh, were they were giving like meds reps something to thousands of dollars of yes, wine, and dine, wine and dine account expenses so those guys would go and chit chat and take doctors to drink house and drink wine and spend money and convince them that their medication was superior and you can prescribe them with no possibility of being addictive. How's I agree. The,
1: how, and evil. nobody listened to that's any of the doctors said so otherwise. Like, I remember this very explicitly back in even the 90s before these families even had this big thing going. Like, this started because the public absolutely fucking demanded this. Like, the yeah, medical boards of cooked. America they were, were already very already aggressive cooked. with uh, re, uh, reprisals against doctors who would not give enough payments. It was a very yeah, but common like, problem.
7: See that, but, but, like, see, like, who, who I mean, did really, like... So in other words, what I'm saying is, those exact people medicine? you're worried about... No, those exact uh, people that, you're that, worried that, about That is enabled. the data, dude. Like, I, I, I cannot they even... They they were. Enabled. Uh, so I'm sorry. So those poor uh, pharmacy companies had to succumb to demand of Americans and accommodate them in to pursuing the freedom of demand for the pain medication. Is that, is that the fucking story we're going rung, rung, what around? You, with?
1: What do you what do you want to have done? I mean like you see my point like it was enabled by the medical boards that initially forced people to give lots and lots of opiates then I, I, doctors I weren't giving it, I enough think,
7: I think that craft was bought out yeah. I think it was it was manufactured I think it was not it was really um but
1: oxycontin is only one all of the opiates are like this this like literally all of them like look, and then on top of that there's all the illegal uh home sin- Not home but like illegally synthesized fentanyl and other stuff too which it yeah, doesn't yeah, take yeah. very much I know, like,
7: I know that like look, so I, I, had like my, you... I had my elbow dislocated uh i had my elbow dislocated i also had in a major ski accident in 2021 my elbow dislocation was 2019 and um i had to be put down to put, put i'm sorry put out to, in order to fix it and this my uh ski accident i had a fracture in my jar and like i had major um Three surgery done. They prescribed me, um, (laughs) what did they prescribe? They prescribed me narcos, narcos, both times. I never picked it up. I never picked it up those prescriptions. And uh, I'm so grateful that I did not because what I'm doing right now in my life, if I did pick that up and if I had it in my record, it would definitely complicate my situation. So I, I yeah. mean, I suffered through pain. But, but I understand I never
1: that like if you if let's say a doctor didn't give you those medicines and you had a legitimate cause for pain, um, you can have your license stripped. I'm not kidding. Like that, uh, my wife had literally they, her license attacked as a result of this in trying to help this individual not become an addict, and she got fired from a community clinic for exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so, because
7: big, Ph- big pharma probably has in has an agenda to sell as much as possible and hook as many people as possible to medication. It probably wasn't even a clinic. It probably was the actual distributor of that drug. No, like it was the actual world. clinic.
1: And like, you're in going
7: into, well, into
1: paranoia land here. Yeah, like,
6: He comes in saying, oh, I don't want to take pain medicine. So then you have patients that come in, right? And they're like, my pain is 10 out of 10. So if they tell us that their pain is 10 out of 10 and we give, so our first plan of action is to give Tylenol, right? So you give them Tylenol. We go back in an hour, right? Because we have to chart all this. And they say, no, my pain is still 10 out of 10 and we don't do anything about it. You know, we're in trouble. Not everybody comes into the hospital thinking the same like, oh, I don't want to take pain medication, you know, and it's not it's it's not just solely addicts that come in looking for pain medicine. Like people want their pain controlled. And now, you know, especially with our charting system, we have to document like it's one of the first things we document when you come into the ED. Okay, what's your pain level out of zero to ten? But not everybody's going to be like, oh, I just want to take Tylenol. Like we we do actively. The first thing we give is Tylenol to see if that gets rid of the pain.
1: Yeah, I actually like gave up my outpatient DEA um, like prescribing thing. Because I am not getting in the middle of all this shit. Quite frankly, like it's not it's worth it. Uh, it's not but, but worth it's, it. But, it, but my-
7: it's also like. But it's also like you. You, mu- you must agree with this. It's also like the such American culture of relying on medication to fix anything and plug any holes possible instead of working through a lot of issues that we like there's so many medication being prescribed to children
0: yeah but like if, for I ADHD. The,
1: if i shoot you in the chest like comforting words aren't going to take the pain away right like there are certain things that people are going to yeah, ask for pain course, minutes, but, but what i'm saying Vera, is absolutely. even even with legitimate normal use of pain drugs you can become an addict it's as simple as that i don't know what else to tell people it's as simple as that. You're, you take a risk every time you take one, period, end of story.
7: But let's, let's I, I talk know, about SSRIs problems. right now and yeah. benzos being prescribed to children to, in order because, because teachers probably don't want to deal with them misbehaving. And they just want to calm them down and just diagnose them with ADHD right away. And that's going to come back to them when they're older. Yeah, Because possibly. the medical yeah. record is going to drag and it's like they're going to look back and it's like, oh, what's going on here? Are you fucking crazy? So that
6: goes back to people not wanting to deal with things, right? So people don't want to deal with pain, so they want pain medication. People don't want to deal with their kids misbehaving, so they want medication to deal with it. So you're right. In that way, it's almost like a cultural thing, too, where it's like we want an instant fix to everything. So that's why now um, we've got Suboxone clinics. And one of the new things here is the ketamine clinics for depression. So it just it's really up to the population.
1: So yeah, the public, the public usually has a strong role to play ultimately in the, the kind of both the regulatory environment and everything else, because their mixture of elected and quasi elected officials kind of come up with all these different rules at some level or the other thinking, by the way, oftentimes they're, they're doing it thinking they're doing a good thing. I'm not saying that like, Everything the medical boards did was because out of malice, they they legitimately believe like they were helping people's pain and everything else. It's just that like, the there's no great way to balance that out. There's just not. And so, what ends up happening is, is that you will get some people that got addicted even though they didn't want to be obviously, but they would have also been, re- been really pissed off if you had like say, soldier surgery. And they did, got nothing for their pain and they were just misery, too. So, like, there's no real winning the opiate problem because, like, normal doses the can opiate get you. The
7: ignited a serious opioid epidemic in the United States. Agreed. And when I said this would happen in the like,
1: late 90s, nobody believed me. Right? Like, it wasn't like people didn't say, hey, by the way, this probably is not a good idea. It's just that, like, nobody, like, I would be fired if I talked like that right? Like, oh, you're not going to treat pain as aggressively as we believe you should. The patient's uh, satisfaction at the end of the day is the only thing that matters. And like literally Melanie, like would tell you this, like, I'm sure, you know, like you, you actually fill in surveys at the end of your hospital stay. And if like the doctor's getting bad surveys because they're not giving enough pain medicine, you'll actually be um, like brought into the office or whatever. And people say, Hey, you're not treating enough pain or whatever. And you're like, well, I'm balancing towards preventing addiction, not necessarily treating pain perfectly. And yet you'll you'll like face reprisals oftentimes for this. Yeah, it's very. It was very common the last twenty years. No,
7: like, but but listen to yourself. Who do you think those comments are coming from? Do you think those comments are coming from the hospital or actually manufacturers of pain medication? And they for and the amount of money, have been involved. Of course, it's making inconvenient. I
1: don't. I don't know? manufacture pain meds, and I I work in the, in the place, right. So and I and I. You know, and again, like I fought back against this uh, any time that it became an issue. Like I told you, my wife was actually fired for it. Like, like, like in other words, we have we have been good for like her.
7: She's a good woman.
1: Yeah. I mean, but the, what I'm saying is that no good deed goes unpunished in these type of circumstances. It's really like so the things that you wish would happen people actually punish you for doing something against it like and it wasn't just anybody it was the pa- the patients themselves would sue you and stuff and report you to the medical board this wasn't like drug companies coming and yeah saying, but oh, by the how, way. We,
7: how don't you yeah. know that those patients are not being paid but pharmaceutical companies <laughs> <laughs>
1: like what like what are you talking about vera come on like you we're, were talking, talking about, about random it. normal people that just like come in for
7: random purposes. normal people okay uh pay Random to do what
1: like they're going to pay t- they're going to get paid to like attack a doctor or something i suppose it, you're, yeah, you're, like, it's, to,
7: to prevail this whole the whole idea of prescribing pain medications left and right anytime anybody complains about any major issues this this is why i have a
1: simple That's rule a, in
5: life presu- my,
1: presumption is, my presumption is human beings are just generally crazy like, it doesn't matter, like, like it doesn't matter, like, what you think of how politics works or how the industry works or whatever. At the end of the day, these things just, like, happen. They just, like, they grow out of proportion. Things go crazy. And people make, like, in groups or individually make bad decisions sometimes. And they're not always malice, like, that causes it, too. Like, a lot of times, the it's really... Out of the desire to do good things for people, like, these type of things happen. There's no question about it. Like, I I don't know what else to tell you. Like, that's how it was. And, like, no matter what, like, even today, same issue. Like, <laughs> yeah, like just forget about, like, even pain meds. Like, if you walk into, like, a pediatric clinic, right, most of the little coughs and colds that kids have do not require antibiotics necessarily. There's no perfect test to prove whether they do or not, but many of them don't. So probably about 95% of all antibiotics prescribed in a pediatrics clinic, that's what my mother used to do for a living, um, are going to be, quote unquote, unnecessary, but the public demands it. And if a bad outcome were to happen for any reason, if you are trying to be conservative about these, then they'll blame you and say, hey, look, I should have gotten antibiotics. And and legitimately, the problem is the antibiotics is it's hard to tell 100% sure whether a person needs them or not. So if you're kind of conservative in prescribing, you'll face one set of problems. So... Doctors have a tendency, if you're going to like punish them for, you know, uh, the possibility of a bad outcome, then obviously they're going to tend to favor going, they're, they're incentivized to give more antibiotics. And this is why in, in pediatrics, the books will say one thing, but the doctors will do something else. The patients just won't leave you. They're like, oh, why would I come to a doctor to be told I don't need antibiotics? I know I need antibiotics, right? So that's the kind of language we get. So like, I, I remember as a kid, like working in my mom's office, and um, this was like the, the standard like dialogue. And um, I'm like, okay, well, I, now I understand why I'm not going to become a pediatrician. This is just lunacy. Like, I, like <laughs> it's completely insane. Um, so, I just didn't enjoy that. I, I just didn't enjoy that, like, attack on rationality 24-7, like, in your, as a job. Like, I didn't like it. And that was, so you, it's like not just pain meds. It's like everything. Um, when it comes to personal health, everybody individually um, has a feeling or a sense that they know what they need. And therefore, like, I don't necessarily need a professional or whatever to tell me this. And that's a common thought process for a lot of people. Like, and that's, you know, it is what it is.
7: Who the hell are they listening to? That's my question. Who is who? Where are are they getting that information from? Um, They're getting it from me.
4: I'm the one that tells everyone to get antibiotics. Um, (laughs) I think we should all have a sterile gut. That's kind of my thing. Um, Also, if you look at the picture I just shared of the three cats, that's me, Addy, and Seffi at the moment. Also, hi to Melanie. Hi, Zara. Are you at work? What's up?
6: No, just waking up.
4: Oh, okay. Wow. We're like... Wait, just waking up? Oh, you work nights, right?
6: Yeah, so we... I had that patient that uh, I was with pretty much all night and then had to stay an hour afterwards
4: to chart Wow! Uh, I hope they paid you four times what you normally get an hour and then I hope they gave you like a golden crown with jewels in it. Melanie if, if you had to like pick like a crown like for staying that extra hour like what jewel would you want in it? Would you want like a rainbow opal or a sapphire or an emerald like what's your vibe? Hmm, maybe rose quartz. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Pinks. Ideas clapping like mad. Um, like what, like rose gold maybe? Like inside it? I mean yeah. like... Right in, uh, and nothing
6: too big. Like it would have to fit on my head so I can like run around still.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's true.
6: By the way, you missed it. My patient was talking to everybody last night.
4: Oh, I was asleep.
3: It was Jackson. so exciting. It was actually really cool.
6: What
1: <laughs> happened
3: when Melanie's patient started talking to us? what did they say? I don't remember what they said, but um, Taffy, you don't remember that you were there, Oh maybe you were away. It was funny though. Okay, she was yeah, and listening to the space with her patient because the patient didn't want to sleep. So. <laughs>
4: That's awesome.
6: So she told me Um, to put it on louder. She wanted to hear it louder. And we were talking about frog. So she wanted to hear what was going (laughs) on.
7: (laughs) That's so funny.
5: (laughs) There's like a random
1: person, Eddie, in a, a hospital bed somewhere who got great enjoyment out of your story of your frog and the thing and the prince and everything else. And now he's going to survive like cancer or whatever the fuck, because because of that beautiful story, right? Like you've, you've Mm. saved a life, Addy. It's an amazing thing to be able to do that for somebody.
3: Yeah. It feels so good talking about my, my issues. I'm I'm glad the patient could get some enjoyment out of it. Um, Mm. Also, no, Zara Frog did not join, Mm. Um, but we were talking about him because I texted, I tried to call him. He didn't answer. But then he said he was studying, and then Steffi was trying to tell me that he was having sex with another girl,
1: and
4: he was mm, lying to Steffi, me. Steffi, what was your motive for saying Wait, that? What? Thing. What's wrong with you?
1: I didn't say that. <laughs>
3: <I> know, <laughs> you just made that up.
1: Just made Steffi, that up.
4: You're always saying stuff. You are always saying stuff. and sabotage Addy's relationship. Steffi basically
3: implied it because I said he had texted me. Frog had texted me saying, "My phone's on do not disturb. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm reading about." Federal jurisdiction or something like that, and I said, mm, "Well, he texts me back pretty quickly, like I believe him or something." And then Seffi mm-hmm. said, "Oh, I wouldn't believe him. Oh, he could text you back, but he can't call." Blah,
4: blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> trying he's kind, to he's kind of popped off with that. It's true.
3: He's trying to like sow the seeds of doubt in my mind, trying to make me overthink it. But Savvy, I guess you were right because he actually did say, "I can call you tomorrow," and then has not so
5: mm.
1: I mean, you were right <laughs> I don't like this he didn't no, call you all day today
3: um no he did not but that's not super abnormal I mean we don't talk every single day oh, I mean, he's, you guys forget he's not my actual boyfriend so okay.
4: mm-hmm. that's true um well if you think about it if you, I mean I've been speaking to all of you guys more than I've been speaking to my boyfriend <laughs> mm-hmm. like at the moment, we're both like like he's really busy as well. Um, normally we speak uh, all the time, but since these spaces have become a thing, you are now like as a as a community, you are all my boyfriend. Um, mostly Addy, but also in in a good deal Melanie. Um, and to some degree, even Seffi and uh, <laughs> Bruce and Jeremy—they're all my boyfriend. <laughs> I
1: know we're like this combo. Like we're like this all this big combo together as one. Glob of like person, yeah, right? Like you, you we're, like, you know, we're,
5: like, we're like the Power Rangers, you know, and then well, like, it's, we're, we're it's just like Voltron it's or some exactly shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
4: wait, listen to this, right? Okay, so it's Addy's head glued onto Jer torso <laughs> with one of Bruce's arms and one of Seffy's arms, and it's Melanie's bum. I don't know what a bum looks like, but I feel like it's a good one. Um, and Kerry's thighs uh, Katie's ankles and Kate's feet um, and all of the listeners are the clothes and Karma is the delightful hat no, Karma is the cat is because it's like human flesh cat is
5: why, um, are, why are I wearing so much clothes, that's my question oh well it's, <laughs> there, it's cold is it like Paris fashion week
4: it's winter yeah, autumn's coming the um, layering exactly uh but yeah addy Addie gets it because addy is like a fashion head so she she knows fashion when she sees it
3: thank you yeah i know all about good layering um it's actually fine to have 50 layers of clothing on it's it's in right now so i
1: think unless like new york's not as bad as like um as Chicago, I guess, is it? Like in terms of the wind between the buildings when it's cold?
3: Mm, yeah, I think Chicago is probably worse, but I'm not sure.
1: One time in Chicago, Chicago I thought for sure I was going to die. I was like walking around, I, like clearly didn't have enough clothes because I'm not from Chicago. And uh, like, I just thought of, I was like, I had to like sneak in and out of buildings, warm up and then like walk again. It was miserable.
4: Hmm.
3: Um, I'm sitting here thinking now that you have said, Seffi, you every time I get on here you make me feel insecure in my relationship that's not a relationship. And now that you've said he didn't call you all day I'm sitting now here you're now thinking, you're thinking about it. I'm thinking, Maybe he should have called me today. Why didn't he call me mm-hmm. today? And now I'm looking at the text and he said, I can call tomorrow and I'm thinking, should I send a text and say, You can't tell me you're gonna call me tomorrow and then not call? That's very mean.
1: Or I yeah just but i don't know maybe maybe i'm just sort TV of TV,
3: my i could be just TV
1: some TV. sort of beta male though it's possible that like in my instance like you know like i made absolutely sure that like <laughs> like my my wife would marry me so like there was not even like i made i don't know maybe it was i the, think
3: maybe he knows that i would marry him i
1: don't know
3: that was kind of ridiculous you think, you you to you say out it, loud but, he's
1: taking it. Uh, he's taking advantage of the fact that you're, you're already sure. Maybe. I don't or know. That like was that.
3: kind of a strange thing for me to say, because I don't know why I would, <laughs> why I would just say that I would marry him, but. Um, That's funny.
1: Like, we got you to admit this. So. Yeah.
3: I don't know. You know, it's funny because you guys talk about what you're like, Oh, I wanted to make sure that my wife would marry me and stuff. And I was talking to Lucas about this. He was like, well, do you love him? And I was like, it takes me like six plus months, I think, to figure out if I love somebody. And it's not like when people hear that, they think that means, oh, you don't actually love the person. I think I truly just, just am really confused about what it means to love somebody and what that looks like. So it genuinely takes me a really long time to figure out if what I'm experiencing lines up with my idea of what I think the word love should mean. And so when yeah. Lucas asked me that, I was like, I don't know, like, I guess I could be, but I have no clue. I would need to do much more investigation. To this yeah, yeah. And in my
4: instance. People confuse obsession and love, like, in a style of relationship, they're always obsessed if, it's, if you're compatible, but um, yeah. love is more than obsession, it's a fundamental compatibility, and it does take a while to discern that, and, like, that doesn't mean you're not a passionate person, it just means you're, like, a you're just wisdom-maxing, you know?
3: Yeah, I think it's like I am also pretty I think it's probably because I'm pretty can get pretty obsessive and passionate about people that I don't want to like I don't want to like screw anything up or mislead anyone by saying something when it might just be, you know, infatuation or something like that. So I think that's where I get sort of tripped up is like it. I think it takes a little bit of discernment to figure out. Because I think feeling obsessed with somebody is certainly part of love, but it's not all of it. But that's the part that's really sort of like glaring at first. So maybe my wife
1: like mind hacked me then, like to been that quick. Maybe
3: she Mm -hmm. might have. I don't know. Well, I think I don't know. Maybe like I don't really know. I'm just confused all the time. (laughs) I have no clue what's going on. Ever. I just sort of like move through relationships and just. I don't know, I'm just I'm very I can't really see anything outside of it, but that doesn't mean that I think like I don't I don't know, it's hard to explain because every relationship has felt that way for me. That I'm very Yeah, like it doesn't every relationship feels incredibly intense and super passionate. So who am I to say if one feels super different than another? I don't know. So
4: when you yeah, said it's tricky,
5: feel,
3: was it Tomorrow, today, or tomorrow tomorrow. Mm, well, that's a good point because it was after midnight. <laughs> he said specifically, "Phone on do not disturb. I can call tomorrow." Reading about federal jurisdiction right now, and when he said I can call tomorrow, that was at two thirty four a.m.
4: So, honestly, I wouldn't let Sherry uh plant those seeds of neuroticism within you because what well, he's won, um, and I think. Just like leave it. I mean, you clearly weren't that bothered. I mean, I know you like him, but it, it wasn't that big of a deal whether he called you or not. Um, and maybe he's just chill, maybe he's just chilling and he's busy. Yeah, I wasn't concerned well, about you, it. You, an you have to stay head. up
1: all night if you have to do an all nighter for a test or something. Uh, and you have to stay up part of the day to sort of take that and do all that shit. You're probably pretty wiped out. You're not like,
3: yeah, I'm gonna be you're honest, you're not in your best. Uh, there have been multiple Saturdays where I've called him or whatever. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's he's at home studying, but it's like Saturday at 2 a.m. And I'm thinking to myself, you had the entire day on Saturday. You have the entire day on Sunday. Why are you doing it at 2 in the morning? i really like, it makes me very concerned if his workload is truly so horrific that he needs to be working into the wee hours of the morning and he's it's been working lighter, all yeah. day or if he's just he's been... I don't know. Yeah, you know, said at said it at
1: like a prestigious New York law school. The odds that he has a lot of shit to do are quite high, and the weekend pretty Especially much. He doesn't soap-
3: live in New York.
1: Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, where is was the it, whole Boston?
3: issue? No, he's in DC.
1: Okay, hmm. maybe Georgetown or something like that. Or anyway, whatever. Well, point I'm is, not like
3: say where he goes to school.
1: <laughs> it doesn't doesn't matter where it is. The point is, like if professionals, uh, students, like... The weekend is the time you have to actually catch up on all that shit. that's pretty normal, I would say but it's at two pre-
3: thirty in the morning
1: yeah, he's for not sure a
3: doctor he's in law school like
1: how much it reading
3: How much it, reading could there possibly be?
1: It can be a lot and it can be fairly dry too, so it actually it's like it it can drag that kind of stuff for sure. I don't know, I could be wrong, but like I can imagine uh take you know having my weekend just fucking like completely obliterated um yeah. on. On week, yeah, for sure.
3: Well, he also has Fridays off, so I don't know. I would just have better time management. Well,
5: actually, I, I probably wouldn't. Right.
1: I'm
4: kind
5: of a procrastinator. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't
4: know. Yeah, honestly, Addie, I I believe that he is acting quite the fool.
1: And uh, <laughs> when, like, <St. laughs> with him, I was him. trying to defend him, and now she's like taking—I don't know which side now. <laughs>
3: Well, I think that I just think that he needs to factor in time to be speaking to me because I don't know, it just seems like if your life is so boring and dry and you're reading about federal jurisdiction at 2.30 in the morning, then maybe you should be factoring in time to like call, call, call up a girl, you know, yeah. me yeah. specifically, not a different one. Yeah, no, he's actually
4: talking to the adivator. Adonate a three <laughs> thousand worldwide she even makes Sephi turn into a quivering shred of bumbling nonsense
1: right. <laughs> so did, wait, hold on a second, but did you tell him that um you know you're seeing other people still or something like that, or no?
3: <sighs> okay, so here's where like <laughs> here's where it gets a little complicated um <sighs> I think he knows that I like him a lot um, he had has had asked me a question once um somewhat recently, probably within the past within the past month maybe about um something it's it wasn't like am I seeing other people, but it was something along the lines of like in the time that we've like been talking to each other and stuff like that like be honest with me have you thought about anyone else really like seriously and I I told him no because that was the truth but it didn't that doesn't mean (laughs) just because that was the truth it didn't it doesn't mean that I'm like not seeing other people so I think that he thinks I'm not seeing other people um which is not the case i am seeing other people but i don't like those other people as much as i like him but i actually don't think that he's seeing other people mm. more out of like i don't think he has time
4: i mean yeah two and <laughs> him <on a> Saturday <laughs> night. it's not exactly like he's out getting with girls is he yeah the only, thing, <laughs> the only thing he's seeing the only thing he's seeing is his own papers and his own little textbooks and um you know, he doesn't even have time to make a, make a little call to a beautiful woman who's famous on the Internet, having a lot of swag. So I don't know what his deal is, but honestly, he's probably going to die alone if he doesn't <laughs> fix up soon.
3: Um, Yeah, so I think that's like, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing that he thinks I'm not seeing other people. But the thing is, I would stop seeing other people if he were like, can you please stop seeing other people? I would say, of course. So I don't know. Kind of a tough situation, I suppose. But I think it would be different if he were in New York, but he's not. So,
4: yeah. One of my mutuals just made a list called Zara, um, <laughs> and then
5: captioned it, "This is Zara." <laughs> <laughs> to hide it. Um. What's in the list?
4: Well, it's just me, but I just change my name and profile picture and account like that every day, so I can't keep track. You have to keep taking my profile, you know. Um do you guys Um, have a Zara, I was just gonna say it wasn't
3: until I saw you I I won't say the other account, just so that people don't like know what the name is. I did I don't know how long you've been following me on that account, but the name on it looked so familiar when i saw you on it today i was like oh my god that looks really familiar i think that account has i uh, ha- do you know how long you've been following me on that account because i
4: wasn't Oh, i actually followed I you on today <laughs> oh
3: you did okay i got so nervous when i saw it because i was like this seems really familiar but i couldn't tell if it was just cuz you've had that profile picture before on this account I have, really I have nervous. as well. She was
1: stalking you for a solid year before she came here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, when did that happen? I usually am pretty good about noticing when people follow me, but...
1: I like the little tapeworm Sue yeah. drawing that you have done. It's it's very nice. I like it. Thanks. What's
4: drawing? I drew a tapeworm. I was going to make it a profile picture, but it was ugly. So I just uh, took a really bad, low-quality picture and posted it and said, I'm tapeworm Sue. Oh, this is really good. We should make up some law for, like, tapeworm, tapeworm vibes. I don't know. Do you guys have any tapeworm experiences you want to share?
3: No, but I'm glad that when you said that you weren't going to put a real tapeworm as a profile picture, I was really grateful because they kind of freaked me out.
4: Yeah. were the really, drawing is nice. It's kind of like, uh, do you remember when Bruce told that story about the broccoli, how he ate all the broccoli because he hated it so much, so he didn't mind it after that? Mm, yeah, kind of. It's like, I really, really hate worms and tapeworms and parasites. So this is like my personal broccoli, you know, because mm. I'm yeah. overcoming my fear.
3: That does make sense. Um, that's how I started liking pickles, actually. Sort of mm-hmm. similar. I used to really not like them at all. And then one day I got high, which I don't smoke anymore, but this was like back in high school when I did. And for some reason, I just thought to myself, I'm going to eat a pickle and I'm going to like the pickle. And so I went into my fridge, I took a pickle out, I ate it and I really enjoyed it. And ever since then, I've loved pickles. Like I probably eat a jar and a half of pickles a week. And it was all just because of that one moment.
4: Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I think you know what, I didn't really agree with the legalization of drugs um, on a large scale. I thought, you know, let them get away with it, but don't ca- don't legalize it. But now that you've said that story, I'm like, you know what, peace and love, pickle time. And I don't know, I think maybe we should give everyone weed. We should give newborn babies
1: weed.
3: Yeah, I think that we should be getting everybody high just constantly and just see what happens. I don't know. Maybe it would be interesting.
1: As as I don't know if you... Like, uh, I wonder if you like, based on what you know about me so far, do you think I would a um, make drugs illegal, or would you think that I would be someone to be more likely to make drugs legal at this point in my life? What do you think? Like, if you had to guess, what I would choose in those things?
4: Of course, you wouldn't make drugs illegal. You're like a, you're like a, you're like a, like a
7: hippie. Yeah,
3: you're you're a big libertarian. I think you would make them legal.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd say make them legal and make the drug companies basically collapse, make the cartels collapse and just like um, just essentially that let people do whatever the fuck they want to do. So even though I'm like negative on the idea of like people dying from these things, at the same time, like I'm not interested in all the interventions necessary to like wage war on this shit. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, so I think if people want to like fuck up their lives, I'm perfectly actually fine with that. I don't have a problem with people doing whatever they want to do with their lives, honestly. But I'm not really particularly going to want to contribute directly to it. But at the same time, I'm not gonna necessarily like um like I think it's just a waste of energy to do all of this. Like like there's no time in the history of the human race that we haven't used some sort of drugs or the other. It's almost absurd to to bother, is kind of how I look at it. So yeah, like I, I am non-interventionalist in in some spheres for sure. <laughs>
4: Oh, not this old chestnut! Not this old dead horse. He's going to go and brought it back.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway,
3: did you just say not this? Not this old chestnut.
1: Chestnut. Yeah. That's a British I've phrase. Never,
3: I've never heard anybody say that before. Honestly,
4: I'm not sure it's a phrase. I was just, I was just coming <laughs> out of my mouth. It was coming out of mouth.
1: That's funny. <laughs>
3: Do you guys want to hear my cat? She's trying to eat a cord. Ready? I'm going to get her to go crazy. (laughs) Here we go. Come on.
1: Oh, by the way, how's your bite? The one you had yesterday.
3: Oh, it's totally fine. But now I'm playing with her. So I'm probably going to get another one. Okay. Um, Let's see if I can get her to meow and do something crazy. Okay, hold on. I'm going to try to get her to do it. Did you hear it?
4: Oh, I had it.
3: Do it again. Do it again. Hold on, I'm rubbing her belly, which she doesn't like, so she might meow. Oh, She's kind of just freaking out, but hold on, I think we're getting somewhere.
1: Do she something. doesn't seem to meow very much. I
5: don't hear her. She use
3: does meow. That. She just has. She just doesn't do it when she knows that I want her to. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Come on, Stinky. She doesn't She doesn't appear to want to meow right now.
4: Oh, well, okay. We've had it before on I'm sure. Yeah. She's a tip. Yeah, she's a chatty girl. Mm. She's a chatty cat. Um, Have you ever
2: the show Community?
3: Have I ever what?
2: Watched the show Community?
3: Mm, no, I think I've heard of it, though.
2: There was, there was this one episode where one of the characters got bitten by a cat and and it just like got really swollen and progressively over the episode, they were just walking into rooms like confused. Like, um, and everyone was like, go, go to the doctor. Like, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> it's just kind of I, it reminded me of that yesterday. I was thinking of like, with this, hand, just not knowing what to do or where to go.
3: That was almost me today. Would have been wandering around the lower east side looking for a hospital, but luckily the swelling went down.
5: Mm.
4: I think it'd be really funny to pretend to be a doctor when you're not qualified, and then um, just sort of slowly um, start like like getting up to no good, like stealing the drugs and switching labels, and you know firing people who had no hearings uh, and they don't know why they're fired and messing with the machines and breaking them lying to patients um lying to your co-workers i i I, uh
2: quite a few years back i don't have it on my license anymore but quite a while ago i when i was getting my license renewed i ticked the box for like whatever your like if it's mr doctor professor whatever and I ticked the box to have doctor on my license just so I
4: could like say to people, trust me, I'm a doctor. And did that ever come in handy? Did you ever have a situation where you really had to buy about being a doctor?
2: No, it was just more to legitimate <laughs> legitimise my lies, I guess.
4: Hmm. Did you get like pussy with it?
2: Uh, there was once or twice an occasion where it came in handy. Right,
4: trust me, I'm a doctor. And then she's like, "What?" And you're like,
1: "Yeah." What well, my I license? Take a look at my driver's license. Yeah, it's a good. It says license. so right here.
3: Steffi, does yours say doctor on it? Oh
1: hell no. Um. Yeah, you don't I'm want gonna to have put,
3: that. I'm going to put that on mine.
1: <laughs> and they uh, be like,
3: "You look like you." It says you're 22, and I'll be like, "Yep, and I'm a doctor." <laughs>
1: You no, know, it's, like, on my record, if you pull up, like, uh, state or federal records, things like that. So, like, if a cop stops me, they know. And, um, you know, my, my little thing lights up like a Christmas tree. I've been, like, like everyone from Secret Service to I don't know what the fuck. So, like, the it, like the little, like, every time a cop stops me, they they never give me a ticket because they're, like, oh, they figured, like, you know, I've done my share of time, like, for, like, service to the whatever country or some shit. So, yeah, it's funny I've ne- I never get tick- uh, ticketed by any cops and but I don't have the word I don't have the letters doctor or something on my license. It's not needed. The they sort of like the people that need to know sort of know and then those that don't you don't want to really advertise necessarily. Although usually like on an airplane, like if there's an airplane um crisis, right? Like um someone's really sick or dying or having some sort of attack on an airplane. Um, I, I usually volunteer at that point. I'm not like, cause I don't write doctor on the, um, like manifest or whatever. But if they ask for a volunteer, I'll go ahead and do it. Cause I know that like my specific skill set uh most doctors won't have. So it's like I can usually be of help. But the funny thing is like when you when you like raise your hand to volunteer or whatever on an airplane, the crazy thing is they don't have shit in the airplane to take care of anything. It's like here, let's give this person some Menadrill or something like that. Like the crap in the in the first aid kit has literally nothing useful in it on an airplane, which is interesting discovery when you do this for a while. But anyway, I remember there was a patient uh, I and mean, there's a person on the on the plane having like a panic attack because um, it was a really turbulent um, flight and truly it was just a panic attack um, and they were hyperventilating and I'm like, all you right, right, you're, you're, they're having numbness and tingling in their lips and fingertips and everything because they're hyperventilating because their carbon dioxide levels will fall so low that you just, you know, it gives these like neuropathic symptoms. And I'm like, yeah, you know, all you really have to do is give them some booze, like get them a little... You know, like you didn't did, they didn't have anything else on the plane useful. So it's not like there's a benzo or something to calm them down. So I was like, All right, look, we have a whole flight ahead of us. There's like eight hours and shit. And uh, like the crazy thing is they made me sit next to this person. So here's this person having a panic attack. Like the whole fucking flight I'm having to deal with this. I'm like, I volunteer for the wrong thing here. And um I'd I'd asked the flight attendant, I'm like, look, just you know, the guy is used to drinking some alcohol, get him some wine or some shit. and they wouldn't do it i'm like what the fuck did you call me over here for if you don't just do whatever i say (laughs) and um anyway so like everything went okay eventually like i think we found some benadryl or this and that or i kind of like bummed some drugs off some of the passengers or something and to give to this person (laughs) and um and they did okay but it was just really crazy turbulent flight where the you know where the plane sort of like falls like two three four feet or i don't know how how many how far it falls but it feels like your stomach is Like coming out of your mouth, kind of thing, like really, really turbulent, and um, so that was just one of one. But I think I've dealt with like almost like five or six in-flight things, and um, I've gotten to the point where I've almost lost track of them. It's like almost a foregone conclusion that if I get on a plane, something fucked up is going to happen. So I just kind of like get used to it. Is that the standout? Is there is there a crazier a crazier story of like? Do
2: you ever do a ballpoint pen tracheotomy on a plane?
1: No, I think the biggest event that happened was a heart attack. Um, and I was on a flight to, from San Francisco to Hong Kong. And, um, uh, it was, a you know, it was a fully loaded, I think, like, mm, like an A380 type, you know, big airplane, the super jumbo type plane that they take to from San Francisco. And, um, we were flying kind of along the California coast up towards like Alaska. The the flight does a really big curve because you know how like the earth is rotating and everything. So, you don't, you're not really flying like in a straight line. It flies sort of in a curve and they also fly in a way that like, I guess if there's an emergency, you could like fly by certain airports so they can land the plane if necessary. So there was this heart attack that occurred and, um, where they're doing like CPR on this patient, this plane. And, um, um, I'm like, there's not like that much shit there. It's not like you're going to do a heart cath on this person. You know, maybe you have like an aspirin or something and you might be able to bump some drugs off some people if they have some nitroglycerin and this and that, but they don't have very much on this plane. It was like pretty, um, Like there's just not that that much there. So you can typically ask around and people say, oh, I have this or that. And you could, you know, whatever. But the um, so here's this person and they're basically having a cardiac arrest on this plane. And um, the pilot's like, yeah, like, what do you think we should do here? I'm like, well, like if he's going to survive, you're going to have to land this plane somewhere and, you know, take him to hospital and such. Because if he's having a heart attack, you're not going to make it all the way from like we're on the coast of California, not California. We're like on the coast of probably at that point, like. Canada or something like in the boonies along that coast, you know, on the way. And uh, so, what they did is I didn't realize that you can't land a fully fueled like jumbo jet. They, this is just too heavy. So, they actually dumped the fuel, um, like I don't remember how much, but some fraction of the fuel got dumped into the upper atmosphere. And I'm like, no wonder we don't have a fucking ozone layer. <laughs> like, we're periodically dumping the the airplane jet fuel into this like outer space. And um, so, yeah, they dumped a bunch of fuel, and they land in Anchorage, Alaska. <clears throat> that was the first time I'd been to Alaska, oddly enough, <laughs> with this airplane flight. And uh, we we land in Anchorage, and then like they end up taking this patient off. Like, you know, an ambulance and such comes, and I don't think we. I think they refueled and they just took off again. We didn't actually. We didn't stay in in the city or whatever. We didn't like we didn't disembark or whatever. Um, and I think the person uh, in, yeah, this person actually died by the time the ambulance got there. Um, and uh, unfortunately, but it's not a good place to have a heart attack on an airplane. Apparently um, not a lot of great options there, but yeah, it was like, but it was a very memorable situation as you might imagine, <clears throat> landing in Anchorage and then like taking off again to go to Hong Kong or whatever. It was an interesting flight. But yeah, but that's kind of probably, I think, the worst case situation, if I had to recall. Um, there were others, I just don't remember. And then I remember they, like, I don't usually go and pay for, like, first class and shit. I don't really care. So, um, they left my thing to like first class, and whatever, on the next flight or something. And then, I don't know, uh, which was kind of nice of them, I suppose. But yeah, that's about, that's all I remember from that. Anyway. I think it was like Cathay Pacific or something, the airline.
4: Mm, that's interesting. Um, The thing I just shared is us, by the way. It's everyone hearing me right now. Wherever you may be, we are all in this lake in Switzerland. Um, Seth, like, if I was on a plane and I was sat next to you, so like just think, okay, there's a girl sat next to me. She's having like a schizophrenic kind of, she's having like a psychosis. She's like kind of chill about it. She's like a chill, like loki like stoner that always got your back. You know, like kind of like a chill vibe. And she's talking to herself. Um, And then her hands turn purple they start to turn blue and purple. What do you think that would be?
1: Your hands turning purple on an airplane sitting next to me. Um, yeah. I don't know, like like Raynaud's phenomenon or something like like where the vessels of the skin basically restrict like are you asking me for a medical diagnosis or like trying to be funny
4: no medical diagnosis this happened
1: um, this happened to you at some point or what
4: yeah this is a real scenario happened last week last week so,
1: <laughs> I would probably um, break open the windows because she's not getting enough air and like maybe have her sit next to a window seat Because we want her to be able to breathe, right? And there's a lot of wind outside.
4: That's a really good thing to say. I don't know if you knew this, because you seem pretty stupid, <laughs> but if you open the window on a plane, you will get sucked out and die. Really? Yeah,
3: you an idiot. You didn't know that? God, Stephanie. you so
1: I was just trying to fix her purple hands, and now it's yeah, like, Dr. you're telling My me ass, she, you're telling she's going to fly people? out of the plane. Hmm. Hmm
3: doesn't sound like you're much of a doctor if you don't even know that
1: hey look i'm not some sort of like aviator or whatever i don't know (laughs) what happens in the upper atmosphere like like you know
3: why not you should
1: i I haven't researched that specific subject yet maybe well maybe you should start researching it no breaking the windows of an airplane there's no
3: there's no excuse for ignorance (laughs)
1: I'm going to make note of this, you know, uh, actually it's funny, you know, those little doors, um, you know, that have the little like, um, like emergency latch type of deal. Like it's actually, it's actually not possible to rotate those things while you're in an airplane. Have you ever tried opening the door in the airplane while you're flying?
4: No, sorry.
1: The the pressure doesn't actually allow you to open it. I I really tried really hard to sort of like Mm -hmm. maybe depressurize the plane. It didn't work. It's so actually not possible. It, it takes too much force to push this thing open.
4: Hmm. What well, I'm hearing is they never test them.
1: Because, like, you know how there's that, like, floaty thing, right? Like, in an emergency, it f- comes out so that if you have to get out in the water. I figured, like, if we open this door mid-flight, right, that floaty thing would just be, like, like, floating in the breeze and it would just look cool. And the people down, you know, in the city can see this, like, yellow thing hanging out it seemed like a like a good idea but i couldn't i couldn't maneuver to push this thing but like also there's like a bunch of passengers that came and tackled me and i'm not sure why that happened mm. maybe maybe like what happened was like the drug company sent me this message and um they sent me this message to um like do this just so that like maybe if the plane has a lot of turbulence maybe cause a lot of anxiety everyone's going to want like anxiety pills maybe benzos and they can make a ton of money off of this. I, I feel like I'm an insuring candidate for the opioid companies or something. Exactly, like that. exactly. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a plant. I'm a plant.
4: If anyone I've ever met was going to be CIA, like it would probably be Cefi, just because, like... But the thing is, I think it would be too good of a trick for the CIA to come up with a CEPHIE. So I all last
1: think... year, all last year, everyone kept saying I'm from the CIA. You know that, like on crypto Twitter, they're like, he's CIA. "He's CIA, he's CIA, he's CIA." Like every space I had, that was the, that was the presumption. It was actually kind of funny. I was like, "I'm not part of the CIA." Like, "I'm um, leave me alone." But then they're then they're like, "Wait, but that's what you would say if you were part of the CIA." Like, I'm like, <laughs> well, "What the fuck do you want me to say now?
5: Right? <laughs> that's So true.
4: I went rock pooling today and I saw some cool limpets and shells and, and enemies.
1: But I would also say things like, well, I'm not part of that agency. <laughs> so like it wasn't really made clear which agency uh, no, exactly I worked for. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> Makes sense. But I think I told you that story, right, when the Secret Service came to my house? Did I tell you that? Did you, were you there when I... I
4: don't think I was there when you did. Go on.
1: So, um, we, so my wife's, fr- uh, they're fr- uh, from India, of course, so I kind of mentioned that. And, um, it's, so it turned out that like the prime minister <clears throat> of India was visiting and, um, like doing a U.S. like trip and all that shit. And they have their own like secret service. Um, like they have their own kind of secret service. Uh, what do you call it? Like, yeah, like the Indian version of that. It's like the, the people that kind of make sure to protect the prime minister or whatever. And then usually like an American US uh, Secret Service liaison comes and also gets involved. And it so turns out that um like um they were like, I don't know, they were, uh, it's, it's a long story, but my parents sort of, you know, like, know this family and stuff and like so they they were interested in getting kind of like when the prime minister came he didn't want to like go eat out here and there and deal with all that shit. So he's like, well maybe someone we know can like make food for us and this and that and like you know help with you know the you know making dinner and things like that for the Prime Minister. So I was like, all right. So my mom's like sure, why not? And um so the like Indian Secret Service and the US Secret Service came over the house like, checked out the, um, the the like, checked out the, uh, um, you know, house and everything, they, they make sure there's nothing poisonous, they taste test literally all the food and this and that. And so, somehow or another, like, my information's also in the, like, you know, secret service record of has, having been, like, vetted for this thing. And while this happened, there was this uh, secret service agent on the U.S. Uh, side. And um, interestingly, like, we were, he was digging through like the medicine cabinets and stuff and like intently looking through them. And my mom's like, what, what are you looking for? Exactly. What are you doing? (laughs) And uh, so um, he apparently was like, I guess he's on pain meds or something normally. And he was actually looking for like some Vicodins or (laughs) Hydrocodons or something like that. And was like the secret service agent was actually looking for pain meds, which is very strange. And um, we're like, no, we don't have any pain meds here. We don't have any, Uh, like, you know, and he's like, can you write a prescription and stuff? And like, no, we can't do that. Like, you're not a patient. This and that. So, actually, the Secret Service agent was the one trying to like get, you know, pain meds off this, you know, doctor family, essentially. (laughs) It's what we were. And, um, yeah, it was just a very unusual experience. And then, uh, everything went fine. Um, and, uh, like, it's just a strange anecdote. (laughs) Zara's thinking of something like, we need to kind of like come back with this I can see her mind thinking right now.
4: Whenever I'm on of space, I always um I always like get really disturbed um sleep patterns. Um, both from staying up and also like when I'm going to sleep I jolt awake and it's almost like a spasm, like a really big one. I don't know why I do that. I don't do that normally. Sefi, why is this?
1: Mm, I don't know. Wait, you're falling wait, what's the problem, you're falling asleep?
4: because uh, my story's uh, boring in that's why no it was really good it's just you've got a really soothing gentle voice letting rock sleep on a sea, and um, I've been falling asleep for a while before you were talking Um, even when Ali was talking she was also rocking me to sleep uh, you guys are like it's like I'm in a hammock and you, I think I've said this before but it's like you're both holding each end of the hammock and you're both like swinging me so yeah but I keep, um, I jolt, like, I jolt awake, and it's really, like, scary. Would you ever consider, like, a career as, like, a tapeworm, Addy and Sefi? Oh, you, both of your names end in I.
3: Aw. <laughs> How nice. Sefie, do you your <laughs> name does your name in real life end in an I?
1: Hmm. No.
3: Oh. What, <laughs> letter, what, what letter does it end in? E e mm-hmm. what the fuck
1: like a hangman thing no um you know what else is uh, interesting Addie? um the uh I, I think i told you right my uh since, since you're like um like obviously more politically um a democrat and stuff um, um the principal of my school at one point was the cousin of Sandra day o'connor um, oh, the, the, the justice. Yeah. So I actually met Sandra Day O'Connor, um, on more than one occasion. Uh, one time like in DC at the Supreme court and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, it was kind of an interesting experience because normally I don't think you get to like kind of hang out with this Supreme court people, um, unless you're working for them.
3: Um, one thing interesting about me, not as cool cause this is a long, long time ago, but my like great 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 grandfather was Daniel Webster. I don't know if anyone knows him, but he was Secretary of State, and I am a daughter of the American Revolution <laughs> because I have relatives. Were <laughs> yeah. Mm.
1: I thought you were talking about the guy that like that made the dictionary.
3: No, no, the Secretary of State. Yeah, he was. He was a Whig Party member, so. Maybe that's why, um, why, uh, these, uh, Republican men love me. Cause they, they know I have wig blood in me, <laughs> but yeah.
1: Mm, interesting. Yeah. Like, um, uh, my wife has a picture with, uh, the, uh, p- like prime minister of India. Hmm the chief the ex-Chief Justice of India, which uh is her uncle, basically. Uh and then also with um I think the 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 state minister from her state, like which is like almost like a governor, if you can imagine. And she has a picture with all three, which is super, super rare. It's interesting. Um so she was like, you know, gushing about this thing and showing me this picture. She had made a trip and like it turns out that um, since her uncle actually is a, like head of the Supreme court or whatever, I think it was, I think it was at, um, his daughter's wedding or something. So she was invited. I didn't, I didn't go cause I was busy with work and like whatever. But, um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, uh, experience it sounds like, uh, when like, um, you know, you have like, it's sort of like us, you know, how secret service is here where you have like a whole like entourage that keeps you safe. Like anytime she goes to India, like um she gets the like the government treatment or whatever, because I guess it's like his niece essentially. She's what she is. So you wind up with like you don't have any trouble at the airports and you don't have any trouble like getting around. Any kind of like national sites she has to go to. It's like her name comes up on something and um all this sort of shit. It's kind of interesting. Um so kind of cool. Like I married up pretty good. <laughs> so <laughs> It's uh, it's it's really interesting.
3: Sorry, I'm trying. I'm I'm listening. I'm just trying to find something in my camera roll.
1: Yeah. Anybody down here has any strange stories of anything? Like <laughs> before we run out of stories ourselves. Zara, have you made it out of the uh, UK very often?
3: I think she fell asleep. Yeah, I was gonna say I think she was like half asleep earlier.
1: All right. Need to sort out like some sort of dinner program here.
3: Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking I don't, I I like have so much stuff I need to do because I have to go into my office tomorrow. I've just been laying here doing nothing since I got on this space. But I don't know. Okay, well, I'm going to go, but I'll talk to you guys later.
1: Yeah, we'll catch up later. Everyone, uh, Zara's asleep and Bruce disappeared somewhere today. I don't know where he went. I know. So weird. All right, cool, guys. We'll catch up later. Have fun.
0: Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was part two of a two part Chepe Space Love Causes Wars and Europe and Stuff. Recorded on Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening in the darkest of times when the phoenix arises out of the ashes like some burned up papyrus open the sarcophagus and release the virus got a lump in your throat like tonsillitis when the flags go up like everyone is righteous spending government checks sniffing up the white dust the previous generation wants to be just like us fuck that shit I'm trying to be like Mike was drop the bias and you might survive this the mummy coming through to remind your highness I might just buy up my own fucking island build a little Bunker, then wait for the timer. Countdown to zero. Day exploiting. Every exploit in your internet. Sex toys and emitting vibrations through the ether. Did you just come? Me either. <price, man>. <blueberry3> d d if you look at the bright side, we're lost at the right time. Blindly following stars in the night sky. Part of me might ride away with the prize fight. Man versus everything else until the time's right. Unleash the cracking. No, wait, that was crack Fuck, now everybody feeling all amped up. Fucking like bunnies to the national anthem. Ugly little shit's eating up all our rhythm. Mishandling the captions, who has the answer? Holding our attention for ransom. Fed up with all the red tape and the boring template like it matters if it's a blue or red state charged every month and we can't even cancel feeling distressed fucking kill the damsel fuck gas yeah, spread it like we're on some undead shit and pass the bitch around like a meme from reddit in the beginning it was suggested that the mortality rate would be five percent and the numbers are so much higher we're not ready for the next epidemic so, if your oxygen level falls too low and
3: it cannot be kept up with just what we call nasal cannulas or rebreathing oxygen masks, if you can't get enough oxygen from that, then they will intubate the the patient.
0: Ten spaces